You are listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Visit us online at rolcf.org. Uh, for, I wish the kids were still in here because I know they would get it, even though we may not be. Uh, uh, everybody go like this. Can everybody do that? See, see sometimes... Sometimes when we get older, we don't want to move around. We don't want to do it. Kids, you know, this, this in sign language is I. Okay, this is I. If you want to say I love you, you just go like this, and you point. That's I love you. I see some people shaking their heads. They know what I'm talking about. See, this is the, word, this is the sign for I. This is the sign for give. Everybody do this. And this is the sign for glory. It, it's a motion in front of you like this. Like little fairy wings going like this. If you don't call fairy wings, that's the way I've always seen it. Says, I give you glory. So if you don't feel like tapping your feet, you don't feel like singing, want to see, there's something about getting involved in the worship. Getting, getting involved instead of just, just singing. Uh, one of the things I used to do at Christ for the Nations, I used to watch the signers over there. They would sign that have a whole sign language department. And I learned sign language just by watching the worship. So you go, and it's like, I, you tap here, you know, it's go, I give you glory. So next time we sing a simple little song or the word glory shows up, just go like this. This is the, this is the sign for name. Like his name is Jesus, that's right. You know, you, this is Jesus because it's, it's pointing to the, the, the scars on his hands, you see. So I give you glory. His name is Jesus. Now that's what that's how sign language works. And so we sing a simple little song like this. You can sit there and just go, and you can do it in sign language, and just do it in sign. Just get used to doing that, and let that be an expression. I was always looking for another way to get involved in the worship. If I was dead, if the, my body was jumping up and down and I was singing with my mouth, I wanted my hands to be saying something. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to be, I wanted to be totally engrossed. I wanted my whole spirit, soul, mind, and body, every part of me to be active in worshiping my God. Man. And I believe with all my heart, you can do that sitting down. I give you glory. Oh, that's oh, that's oh, oh. I mean, there's just there's just, just some wonderful things you can learn to do. Just I give you glory. You can sit there and just you can do that while I'm preaching. Just you, you, oh, not disturb anybody. As, as Donna just went, thank you, Lord. Thank. That's thank you. This is the this is the sign for Lord. It's an L. See that? And it's like the Miss America banner. That's how you got to see it. Lord, King, that's the K, King. You got it? So it's a, it's a title, it's a banner. His name is Lord, okay? Jesus. Got it? So, yeah, you can say, I love this, I love, I love you. Or you can just do this to God. Not hook them horns or, or giggle maggies or boomer sooners or whatever, you know. It's I love you, Lord. Whole church should be going like, ah, oh, they're showing gang symbols. Yeah, this is the gang symbol of the church. I love you, Lord. Yeah. 
how they do that? <laughs> now, did he just give me the finger? Nope. <laughs> I'm ripping my pages. I shouldn't be doing that. Dang it. Oh, well. Hallelujah. Are you ready this morning? <laughs> I don't know how to start. I'm too excited. I tell you what, church, there's, this is, I, I don't know, there's just something. I am not moved by nothing. But the Spirit of God is, there's something in the midst, something in the working. I do not know what it is, but I tell you what, I can stand in front of you. I don't care if there was five people in here today. I'd tell you, just like I'm telling you, there's something great right around the corner. I don't care if it was 300 people in here this morning. I'd stand here and tell you there's something. But tell you what, there's something great right around the corner. I, I have personally, I have never experienced what I'm going through this last month, month and a half. It has been, a, I don't, I can't even explain what I personally have been going through spiritually. Uh, there, there's something fixing to take place. Don't know what it is. Just write it down. Just write it down. Uh, it's going to happen. All right, turn with me to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Are you ready for the word this morning? Ah, uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity you've given us to fall in line with your word this morning and flow with your current that you're making. We're getting behind your word. We are going to declare your word because you have decreed it. Father, I thank you. You've given us the place that we can do this. Father, I thank you that you're circumcising our ears so we can hear what the Spirit is saying. And Father, I thank you that we can call you Father. Mm. Holy Spirit, you're the great teacher. Open the eyes of our understanding. We know so much, we understand so little. May we begin to have revelation that will bring us transformation. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. You know, before we read Colossians, that's one of the first things that, even this, this well, it doesn't matter how, I've looked all over the, the word Father is used 1,162 times in the Word. I haven't divided it out how many times in the New Testament and how many times in the Old Testament, but I have only found a few, only a fraction, only a certain little places here and there where God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament. Usually when the word Father is referred to as God, where God is referred to as Father, is when there's a prophetic word given to the, about the new covenant. He got it. Throughout the old covenant, all they ever did was refer to God as God. 
because that's how they had their relationship. There, there was something in between God and them that kept them from seeing Him as Father and saw Him as God. And you might be saying, well, what's wrong with seeing God as God? That's who He is. That's true. But see, Paul said, grace and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father. See, something needs to happen in our life that is able that we can take God and begin to relate to Him and see Him as Father. Because you'll never understand the love of Father as long as you're seeing Him as God. I've never heard anybody say, matter of fact, I've heard everybody say, that they're, all, they're worried about the judgment of God. Right? Have you heard anybody ever say they're worried about the judgment of the Father? It doesn't fit. You can't say Father and judgment in the same breath and go, oh, that's such a pretty harmony. Man. Just something for you to think about. In Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse 11. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, how? Having forgiven you all trespasses. Notice it doesn't say all your trespasses. It says all. Yes, all yours, but all your father's, all your grandfather's, all your great, great, great grandfather's, everything that's ever been done that's contrary to God's will has been forgiven you all trespasses and the ones in the future just not in your life but in the lives to come all trespasses have been forgiven how did this happen having wiped out the handwritings of the requirements stop right there now this makes it pretty clear, but there, there might be a little question about it. But it says, having wiped out the handwritings of the requirements. Look in Ephesians, keep your hand here in, in Colossians. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Let me explain something to you real quickly. There were two kinds of people in the world. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. That's it. According to the Jewish people, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. The rest of the world are Gentiles and then there's the Jewish nation. And there was only one thing that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. There's only one thing that made them different that they used to separate themselves from the Gentiles and that was called the law. Man. Matter of fact, even in the temple, there was, a, there was a wall called the wall of separation. It was a six-foot high wall made of stone. What were the Ten Commandments written on? 
What happened when they broke the stones? They broke, came into many pieces. When a wall's built, it's made up of many stones, just not one, but many. And it says here that Jesus broke down that wall of separation. And how did He do well, Let me ask you the question. Why did He do that? I like this. Before He said how, we want to find out why. Verse 14, For He Himself is our peace and has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Why? So as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. What we need to realize is that God wasn't trying to add to the Jewish nation the Gentiles by breaking down the wall. He wasn't saying, I'm taking the law out of the way so the Gentiles could come in. And He wasn't saying He's taking the law out of the way so the Jews could, could leave. He didn't want the Jews to live like the Gentiles and He didn't want the Gentiles to live like the Jews. That's going to get somebody in a second. He didn't break down the middle wall of separation and abolishing the law of commandments so Gentiles could be like Jews. You got that? And He didn't break down the middle wall of separation so the Jews could live like Gentiles. He did what He did in His flesh so He could out of this group and out of this group make one new man that wasn't like this and wasn't like this. Man, you need to see this. That is just too cool. I know a lot of people that are Christians that are trying to become like Jews. And that's okay. I mean, if we can have Christians that are cowboys and Christians that are bikers, we can have Christians that live like Jews. It's no difference. But God isn't trying to create Gentiles that live like Jews or Jews that live like Gentiles. He's trying to create one new man. It's called the bride of Christ. He's creating a bride, not a lifestyle. He, he is, what he's done, he is, he's done something to create for himself someone that he can love on for all eternity. Man, that's powerful. Let's go back to the book of Colossians. I should just leave my glasses on. Verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespass and uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements. Look at this next part. That was against us, which was contrary to us. This is telling us that the law of the requirements, or the law of the commandments, as it says in Ephesians, was against us and it was contrary to us well I don't know about you but I, I, how long have I, I you've been living in church them saying well you got to do this and you got to do that those laws are teaching you it's called behavior modification they're teaching you how to be a certain way but not how or how to do a certain way not how to be a certain way you know, those laws of the commandments are saying, see, see, it's about Gentiles becoming like Jews or Jews becoming like Gentiles. But wait a minute, that wasn't why he did what he did. He did what he did to make one new man unto himself. And the words here are 
against us and contrary. Now what's really a, a fun to look at is these two words. I'm going to explain it as simple as I can. The word against and the word contrary, they're two opposite words with the same purpose. What do you mean? Well, let me explain it this way. They both have the same goal, but they both come at it from different angles. When you do a word study on the word study against, or if you study the word against, the word against is as if, 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 if I put, here, let me take this bottle of water here, or if I take this jacket or a bottle of water and I put it on her, it is against her. You understand? If I put on, if you put on a uniform, if you join the Marine Corps and you're, you put on a Marine Corps uniform but you're not a Marine on the inside, it's against you. You got it? it it's something that's placed on you, but it's obvious. It's obvious that this has been done. It is something on the outside that is what is known as overt. Got it? Guess what the word contrary means? It comes from the very essence of the word covert. Sneaky. On the inside. See, we have stuff that's been put us on the outside, it's obvious, that's against us. And then there's stuff on the inside that we have a belief system that's against us. But we don't know it because it's covert, it's sneaky, it's on the inside. Aren't those two words cool? To understand the difference between the covert and the overt? But this is saying that the law of the requirements or the law of the commandments are against us on the outside and they're against us on the inside. And it says here in Colossians 2 verse 14 that He has taken it. Everybody say it. It out of the way. How did He... How has He taken it out of the way. Before we find out how he took it out of the way, the question I have is how far did he take it out of the way? Now you've heard me share on this again, but we're going to share it in more detail because i got lots of time. How far did he take it out of the way? Turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. What we need to understand that this is a, a, a story in the Bible where where the children of Israel are coming up to the Jordan River. They're coming up to the Jordan River for a second time. This is the second time they've had an opportunity to go into the promised land. Everybody say promised land. This is the land that flows with milk and honey. This is the land that had vineyards that they didn't have to prune the vines. They were already there full of grapes. This is a land that had crops in a field that they didn't have to sow. They could just go in and reap. This is a land where the promises of God were yes and amen. And this is the second time. See, the first time they came up to the Jordan, they couldn't go in. Why? Because the Scripture says they had an evil heart of unbelief. Now, wait a minute. Stop and think about this scenario. I thought that they were saved. See, they had already experienced a Passover. Have they not? Let me do it this way. Erase the board here I've just drawn, and let me do it this way. 
Over here is the Passover. What's the Passover? The, the lamb, blood, shed, put on the doorpost, the death angel passes over, and they have experienced a Passover. They've been celebrating Passover ever since. And so the type and shadow of they are saved by the blood. They go out into the desert and they, they're supposed to go into the, uh, the promised land that God had promised. They come up to this river. They send out t 12 spies. They send out 12 spies. Matter of fact, let's back up a little bit. While they're in the desert, they get the Ten Commandments. They get other laws other than the Ten Commandments. They get, all, they get all kinds of laws while at the mountain of God. So now they have the Ten Commandments and all the, the wisdom of God about how we're supposed to be a people, be His people, and they're His... I mean, there's this interchange via the law through this relationship with the law in between. They come up here to the, to the, the river Jordan and they, they send out 12 spies to go spy out the promised land. The land that God said was theirs. The land that God said was yours. The land that God said everything you'll ever have need of is over there on that side of the river. And they send the 12 spies. 12 come in, go out, 12 come back in. 10 spies say you can't have what God said. Two spies said you can have it. When Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment of the 10, he said, there's not 10, but there's two. See, living a life under the law will keep you out of the promises of God. Because they didn't go in when God made a way for them to go in, they went back for 40 years. They begin to circle in the desert, waiting for that unbelief and f the lack of faith to die. Here's something you probably don't realize, but those 10 spies that said you can't have what God said you can have, they all died of a plague. The two that said you can have it lived till the generation of faith came about and they went in and possessed the land. Wow. See, there's something contrary in us. Obviously, there's the river that's overt. It's got current. They've got to cross the river. But there's something covert that's on the inside. There's something that's contrary. There's a belief system of rules and regulations that I can only have a relationship with God unless I perform in a certain way. And we covert... In our, it's contrary. It's on the inside of us. And, and see, the Bible just said that Jesus took what was against us and contrary out of our way. So now, when the children of Israel have an opportunity to go across the river of Jordan for a second time, you know what took place? See, they, they didn't have a heart of unbelief anymore. They had a heart. They were able to build faith. They were able to come up to the river Jordan, and as the priest stepped their feet in the river, the river began to part. And the, the Scripture says that it parted, and, and actually it didn't part, but the, it says that the river stopped 
the water stopped and it was at flood stage but the, that the water stopped all the way back at a town called Adam Joshua 3.16 said it stopped at a town called Adam and the current let me explain it this way with the words covert and overt it's like the law of first mention excuse me not the law of first mention but the, the first law of physics anybody know what the first law of physics is says for every action there's an opposite and equal reaction so the harder you try to push this way the more pressure there is pushing back on you this way so it works this way in what we call heart physics is this way that the harder the see if you tell yourself i must become something you're telling yourself that you're not something i must become a good person well, in the very act of saying that, you're telling yourself and ratifying and, and, and anchoring and submitting the fact that you're not a good person or you wouldn't have to become one. And the harder you try to become a good person, the deeper it goes that you're not. Has anybody felt... Let me explain it this way. Has anybody tried to do something? You know what's right to do? And you try it and you fail? And you try it again and fail, and you try it again and fail, and you try it again and fail, and pretty soon you just keep quit trying because you know you can't ever reach it because you're just a bad person. Man, heart physics. See, there's something in us that's telling us we can't have it. We're trying to go out and get it, and the harder you see that you don't have it, the more you're telling yourself, you don't got it. See, the scripture says that we already have it. Does, it, does you understand what I'm saying? That the harder you try to get it means that you don't got it. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, it's like this. It's like a current. A current in a river. When you go to cross the river, let's say you're going upstream. That's your destination. You're going upstream. Can, you know what? I can swim upstream. I was on a swim team. You know what I'm saying? I know you don't want to envision that, but I didn't always look like this at one time. You know what I'm saying? There was a time when a Speedo wasn't so bad, but right now a Speedo just won't cut it. You know what I'm saying? I hate to get religious on you like that, but it don't. There's some things you just don't do anymore. And uh, I can swim. I can swim. I can swim upstream for a certain length of time. You know what happens when you're swimming upstream? You're going against current? And you get tired. You get tired pretty quick. What happens when you take a break? Oh, that's deep science right there, isn't it? You go backwards. Until what? You start swimming again. And see, so many of us feel that way about our church life. I'm just trying to be good. I'll try this for a week or, week or two. Maybe a week and a half. Oh, no, I'll just do it once. This is too hard. I can't. Whoo! Man, what's really interesting about that Joshua 3, 16 is that the Scripture says that the water stopped at Adam and it dried up all, all the way to the salt sea. You know what the salt sea is? The Dead Sea. So where was the current taking them? 
Where were, if you got in that river, where would the current take you? Death. What did the law come to do? Kill us. Make us guilty. It had the ministry of death, condemnation, and guilt. So if, you, so if you're trying to cross into the promised land, and you've got to cross the Jordan, something's got to be taken out of your way, other than just the covert belief system, but the overt, the what's obvious, is keeping you out of the way. And God shut off the obvious so you could cross over into the promised land and receive and live in just not what He's done for you, but to see Him as Father God. Man, this is powerful. When you get this revelation in your heart, see, here's the phrase I want you to realize. The children of Israel had already experienced a Passover and they still celebrate the Passover today. But in the story of Joshua 3.16, they were commanded to cross over. Wait a minute. Did you get that? They'd already had a Passover, but God's will was in the crossover. There's people who have gotten saved by the blood, but hadn't crossed over because of the overt and covert things that they're dealing with in their life. The things that are contrary, even though what was contrary and against them was taken out of the way, all the way back to Adam. Where was the first law given? In the Garden of Eden, to Adam. God's taken out of the way all the overt and covert things that would keep us from living and walking and crossing over into the Jordan. There is a, I don't want to say just a lifestyle, but there is a relationship waiting for those that cross over, just not those that pass over. Because there's lots of people still living in the Old Covenant. Jesus said this, excuse me, Paul said this, in, in 2 Colossians chapter 14, having wiped out the handwritings of the requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it. Everybody say it. Out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What was the last words that Jesus said while hanging on the cross? He said, it is finished he didn't say I am finished he said it because he wasn't finished there were still things he had to do so what was it that was finished he nailed the law to the cross because the old covenant has come to an end. You need to understand this, church. The cross doesn't represent something that's alive. It represents the end of something. The cross represents the end, not the beginning. I'm going to say it again. The Am I saying anything wrong with the cross? No, but the cross doesn't represent Victory. The cross represents payment. Amen. 
It represents death. And there's people in the body of Christ that are living dead because all they do is look at the cross. They don't look at the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, 9 says this, If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. There are lots of people died on the cross. There's only one that resurrected from the grave. Oh, man. I, after the new covenant comes in, all you read about is how people are calling him Father and not God. The Bible even says that he put a spirit in us, crying out, Abba, Father. Man. Church, you need to get a hold of this. You need to sit there and just meditate sometime. And what I mean by meditate, oh, you don't have to light a candle, you can go, mm, blank out your mind. Just take a scripture and let your imagination wander. Think about, see the, uh, see the children of Israel stepping into the, the, the priest with the ark and see the water stopping from up there and drying up all the way across and see the See, just literally millions crossing, millions of people crossing into the promised land because what was in their way was taken out of their way. Wow. See, the promises of God in the new covenant are yes and amen. It is finished. What is finished? The old covenant. Even in communion, we've talked about this before, but even in communion, the Lord's Supper, is, uh, it talks about the Seder meal. There's four cups in the Seder meal, cups of wine. It's a 15-step process. This is the process of the Lord's Supper. And you know, it wasn't roast beef and carrots and big banquet. It was a Seder meal, something that they'd been doing for years, hundreds, for uh, actually 900 and so, almost a thousand years they'd performed the Seder meal every year the Passover Seder four cups in, that, in those 15 steps and there's a cup after supper and that's the cup that Jesus held up and said this is the cup of the new covenant well how can he hold up a cup of a new covenant unless he's held something up representing the old covenant that's where it says in Ephesians it says in his flesh he abolished. He abolished the law of commandments in his flesh. He took the bread and he broke it. He broke down the middle wall of separation. See the parallel? He broke it. He said, this is my body or this is my flesh. Do the, This represented the end of the old covenant. The bread represents the end. This cup represented the beginning of a new Man, this is powerful. Got to get a hold of this. There's such a difference understand. The difference is, over here, if you're under the old covenant, you'll always see God as God. You'll never see Him as Father. If you get a revelation of the new covenant, you'll see Him as personal. See, and I know I've shared this before, but, but I don't know how you got married, 
But my wife and I, when we got married, she didn't give me a list of do's and don'ts that I had to adhere to to stay being her husband. She said, I love you. She told me what she wouldn't do. I told her I loved her. And I gave her a list of things that I wouldn't do. But she didn't tell me not to say those things, did you? They're called vows. I made vows to her. She didn't say, make these vows for me. See what I'm saying? In the new covenant, see, it's a relationship, not based on vows. It's a relationship based on love. Man. Man. I'm not saying that we we need to ignore the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. But you need to understand your relationship with Father before you read the Old Testament. I'm going to turn to a real popular scripture that we read here all the time in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says this in verse 11. For if what was passing away was glorious, and talking about the old covenant was passing away, what remains is much more glorious. For therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So Moses put a veil over his face so the people on that side of the veil couldn't see that the glory wasn't there anymore. You know the shiny light? A lot of people think he put it there to protect so the people wouldn't get blinded. No, he put the veil over their face so they couldn't see that he wasn't as shiny as he was yesterday because that glory was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted reading in the Old Testament. The Bible that you have in front of you says that if you read the Old Testament, there's going to be a veil that puts in front of you, and you're not going to be able to see. See, that Old Covenant law reinforces. You go back and read stories about how God killed people because they didn't live uh, accordingly. You see what I'm saying? It ratifies that covert belief system that belief system back down inside of you that says that you can't have it. See, the promise of God said everything pertains to life and godliness is already yours. But that covert way of thinking means, yeah, but I don't deserve it. 
Has anybody ever said you don't deserve it before? Guess what? Was that the Spirit of God or was that a covert belief system that was placed in there because of some law? Does everybody understand? Don't ever say that you don't deserve what God... Don't ever say, don't ever slap Jesus in the face. Because if you say you don't deserve one of the promises of God, you just slap Jesus in the face because He did what He did because He wanted you to deserve it. You don't deserve it because of your actions. You deserve it because of His actions. Does you understand what I'm saying? You can't live good enough to get the promises of God. That's why it's not up to you living. It's not about a lifestyle. It's not about a Gentile becoming a Jew. And it's not about a Jew becoming a Gentile. It's about Him creating out of one, out of two groups of people, one new man that calls Him Father that has a heart of relationship. Listen, it wasn't about the prodigal son. It wasn't about the son that stayed behind. They were both what? Sons. But where was the heart to the father with any one of the sons? Neither one of the sons had a heart for the father. But the father had a heart for the son. So I believe he wanted to make take out of this one and take out of this one and make one new son a son that's going to love him because he first loved them. See, I believe that's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is not a book of do's and don'ts and lifestyle living and being a being prosperous and being or being under being holy of holies and going to this church and that church. It's about having a lifestyle. It's about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that you can cry out, Abba, Father. Man, that has set you free. That has set you free. My job is to help you with your mindset, with your heart, that's always telling you you're not good enough. I'm here to tell you you are good enough. If I ask, don't, I, don't raise your hand, but if I ask you here, how many people here believe the Holy Spirit is telling you what's wrong with you? I'd have to call you a liar. Because He's not telling you what's wrong with you. He's telling you what's right with you. You're condemning yourself. The Bible says your heart condemns you, not the Holy Ghost. Well, I just felt condemned to the Holy Ghost. No, you didn't feel condemned to the Holy Ghost. Your heart condemned you. But God is greater than your heart and knows all things. Thank God for that. Amen. See, you only know what you know. That's why we need to change what you know. Because once you know something different, then you can live different. You can be different on the inside. Your love that you feel from God is not based on what you do but based on what He's done. I tell you, it's time to cross over, church. You've had a Passover. You've accepted Jesus and what He did at Calvary. But sometimes we're still wandering in the desert. Not in victory. Going around in circles. Not living victorious. They had a Passover. They had a Passover. But now they needed to crossover.
cross over into a way of living that's based on a relationship with Him called Father. God our Father. What good is the crossing over if you don't know Him as Father? Let's stand up. Thank you, Father. See, just like I said, I said, thank you, Father. It, it, it doesn't, it's hard for me even to say thank you, God. God. Thank you, God. Anybody ever heard about that before? Bless God. Thank you, Father. Sounds so much nicer. So much closer. So much more personal, intimate. Mm. I want you to raise your head. Just, just like this. Just lean it all the way back. And say, thank you, Father. See, there's some covert things in us. Everybody thinks you've got to bow your head to pray. Close your eyes. Because that is a result of being under the law. I was raised under that. Bow your head, close your eyes. Why? David said he'd lift his, his open his eyes, lift his hands, and lift his hands up to God. This is how David talked to God. Mm. See, there's some covert things working in us that we need to overcome. Jesus has already taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am. Hmm. After the cross, Jesus took His blood. He had to take His blood up to Calvary. Excuse me, up to the throne. He sprinkled it seven times on the altar and threw the rest at the base. All of His blood for all men, for all man's sin, for all time. That's what your Jesus did. See, He's already done His part. Now it's up to us to let the Holy Spirit, the great teacher, teach us. And for us to renew our mind and to repent, change the way we think. This is what 
This is what Paul said in the book of Romans. See, Paul had a revelation of this. You know, Paul was a Paul was the Jew of Jews. You know, he had the understanding of the law better than probably any of his own peers. He had to get rid of that. This is what he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, or principies and powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Did you hear that? For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principies or powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. What are you letting separate you from the love of God? Get rid of it. Come on, church. Father, we thank you for your word. We get behind your word and we go in your flow. Thank you for your word that sets us free. Thank you for your word that has made a way across. Thank you for the Passover so we can live in the crossover. But may we cross over. We don't want to be like those that died in the desert. We don't want to be like those that said that we can't have it. We want to be like those two that said take it and live in it. Mm. Thank you, Father. Go ahead, Joy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yes. Spoken to me. Speak to us. Oh, speak to us. 
You know, for so many, I've heard for years people say, well, how come you, you know, they just don't seem to, you know, they see other people with a close relationship, like this song. I'm desperate for you. See, I don't know of anybody that's singing that song that has the, they're envisioning God. Because in our mind's eye, we see God as being wrathful and judgmental and full of pain. But it's the bridegroom. This whole song is written out and expressed in relationship. It's like, I, I, I don't, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But it's like the groom standing on the altar and the bride standing at the back of the sanctuary and they're both singing to each other saying I, I'm so desperate for you he just wants to have a relationship with this church where there's nothing in between there's no rules and regulations but a relationship of love he wants to pour out his love on us. The only way we're going to get desperate for him is to realize that he loves us without any regulations. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our trespasses and sin, we were forgiven. Christianity is not about becoming something that you're not. It's about realizing something you already are. You're already loved by God. That's the crossover. Mm. Crossover, church. Crossover.
love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I, I love you. Father, we open up our hearts to you right now. Experience your love so we can love you in return. I, I love you. Thank you, Father. Church, I bless you in the name of Jesus. May you go from this place uplifted, edified, and exhorted. May you be a blessing to every person you come in contact with. May you build up people in their faith as they press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. May you run your race. May you run it straight, not looking behind, but looking forward. As you press on, go in the grace of God and the faith that is all a gift by Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.